0: Now, here we go, Indie Game Business! What's up, everybody? My name is Indie, and the um, gentleman next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from the Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to another lovely episode of Indie Game Business. Today, we have Nika Noir, who has been on the show one or ten times, and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the and they're both from GenVid, and dynamic powering the future of work in the industry, and so I'll step back and leave it up to you. All right, so
1: uh, Nika, welcome back. We're going to skip you to start with because
0: we all know where you came from
1: and, and what you do, although you do have a new update, but we're going to start with, with Arthur first. Arthur, we okay. always like to start. Tell us how you got into the industry initially and walk us through your career up to this point.
2: Oh, man, I got, I got in the industry by mistake. Um, we all did. It's okay. <laughs> we all did. It's, it's part of the sort of carny joy of the game industry. Um, yeah, I was a, I was a touring uh, death metal musician, and um, there was a fan of my band at uh, at Telltale Games over a decade ago. And uh, they were looking for localization people. And I, uh, they found out I spoke French. And they're like, oh, we are, we're working on this thing. It was just announced. It's called The Walking Dead Season 1. We need like a localization QA expert. Um, I've like, I've, well, I've never done QA or localization, but I'll do my best. And uh, somehow I convinced them to hire me. And so my first project, um, first actual project was as a you know, QA tester making like. an hour, no benefits at uh, a Telltale on Walking Dead season one. Uh, And that was, that was my entry. It was just someone who was a fan of my, uh, of my band, basically, who kind of got me a connection.
1: I think you may be the first person in the last four years that comes to the industry from a death metal band. That's, that's actually a new one.
2: Oh, there's actually quite a lot of us. Oh
0: (laughs) yeah. Right here, right here, right here. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Yeah. There's there's quite a lot of us. Um, I have a a friend, she's an audio director at EA and she also has a extreme metal band, but she plays cello. Uh,
1: Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) That's fantastic.
2: Yeah. There's, there's tons of us around. All
1: right, Nika. So last time you were here, you were executive director of the IGDA foundation, but tell us what you are up to now.
3: Yeah, no, thanks again, Jay. And thanks to the uh, Indie Game Business Podcast for having me back. I really appreciate the space you create for business and developers and the games industry. And I feel like I've been here enough that I probably should start paying you rent. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've I've made the leap from the IGDA Foundation to GenVid Entertainment. So at GenVid Entertainment, I really focus on um, partnerships. I'm our head of partnerships and I manage our relationships with game devs publishers, platforms, IP holders. And now I'm actually focused on producing and publishing what's called massively live, massively interactive live events. So we're a Miles company. And what that means is that like, Miles are interactive live streams that turn millions of concurrent viewers into participants. So like audience members that have actual agency in the story, in the interactive entertainment that's being told. We have our own Mile SDK with like backend support and cloud streaming and it's instantly accessible. So we can get into what that actually really means um, when we talk about our IP and the future of work. But it's basically a really cool new emerging technology in this field. I say emerging though our our C-level has been working on this for quite some time. Um, And I'm really excited to be here and talk about it. Because as you know, and as I have touted for many, many years on this show, I'm very much about choose your boss, not your job. And also, you know, choose your job wisely, choose, you know, follow passions, follow directions and support your values when you're picking a role. So I all of that intention went into the leap going from IGDA Foundation over to Genvid. Look at you. I know
1: Nika's always makes me feel like the dumbest one on the podcast whenever she's so no, the uh, that's <laughs> not.
3: all
1: right. So talking about the future of work. Obviously, for the last two years, everybody's been working from home. And now we are seeing all of these bigger companies going, oh, okay, so you have to be back in the office, you know, in in two weeks, which personally I think is a giant load of crap. Because if your company has survived the pandemic working remotely. You obviously have it figured out to some sort of an extent. What are you all seeing in terms of how the next 12 to 24 months is going to go in the workplace? Are we going to see more of these companies go remote? Or are we going to see a lot of these micromanaging bosses force people back into the office? What do you What do you two think?
2: I mean, there's going to be a divide, really. I mean, here here at Genvid, we've committed fully to remote, so um, anywhere in California, anywhere in Washington, uh, Texas, New York, um, any of those places, you can be anywhere you want, and, uh, you know, we meet each each other in person occasionally, um, and it's been working well, you know, we we just put out uh, Pac-Man that way, we put out, uh, we have Walking Dead coming out this summer, and we have a whole bunch of other projects coming up, and it's fully 100% remote. Um, I think we'll see that, um, you know, there's going to be companies that, go back to, uh, they'll go to hybrid, and hybrid is really challenging. It's 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 more challenging than a remote because you have to accommodate for all kinds of different uh, connection points. So you're going to have people, maybe like two people in an office, and then five people talking uh, over a screen. And they'll have a mixed experience. And that sort of thing is really, really, really hard. Um, I, I feel like there's going to be. Uh, people who will commit to the type of work that they want to do. The the, the companies are going to have a, a massive shift of people going to oh I do want to work fully remote I want to commit to this because I like it, and then you're going to see people who go oh I want to be back in the office and it's going to be a sort of a divide between uh, not just the company that you want to work for but also their values as as how they how they want to work. Um, so I see I think you're going to see a lot of shifting folks. Um, you know, I've, I've been interviewing. It's an absolute like bloodbath right now in terms of hiring, and um, you know, I've been talking to a few folks, and they go, "Oh, well, you know, they they want me to come back to the office. I don't want to." I tell them, "Well, you don't have to here, um, but the, you know, some folks do like working in the office. You know, I, occasionally I, I miss uh, having a you know whiteboard session with folks. That's that's just a reality, so."
1: Yeah. So I mean how do you you mentioned it's a bloodbath so in a, a bloodbath out there right now in in what way
2: It's been it's been some of the most challenging uh, in terms of competition for talent right now that I've ever seen at the in this industry 100%. It's there's just there's a lot of there's a tremendous amount of talent out there um but there's a, such a massive expansion of of work in this industry like you know there was with the pandemic it, it's it was certainly hard for a lot of industry service industries uh tourism industries but in a in a way you know games have, have flourished um and so there's a tremendous amount of work and uh, it's been it's, it's hard to find enough Enough uh, experienced folks to to do it. So you have to be really creative and find people from from all kinds of all kinds of worlds, all kinds of different industries. Um, I mean, if you look at Montreal, for instance, that's an example. There's all all these studios popping up left and right, and there's a. There's a huge amount of, of competition there. You're seeing things like some studios going to four day work weeks, for instance. Uh, some committing to fully fully remote. Others saying, "Look, we have this incredible new office that you need to come to and get all these perks." Um, there, all these different industries are just uh, uh, the, you know all these uh, all these companies are just trying to one up each other because there's 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 so much work to be done and only so much talent out there at the moment.
1: So. And you've really opened up the, you're not confined to just recruiting, like in your local area anymore. You've literally got the no. world out there. Um Nika, I want to throw this one to you. You, you mentioned a, a rant, and, and I always like mm-hmm. to get you on a rant first thing, because that makes everything more fun. Right. So how does the future of work What does it look like when everybody's going remote and there's all these different kinds of, you know, technologies out there? I mean, I know my biggest and this is like complete like first world problems. My biggest complaint is that every single video conferencing thing uses different tool sets and nobody can figure out the interface on any of them. But so what does all of this look like, you know, now that we're switching into more of a remote world?
3: Yeah, and I'm gonna actually. <clears throat> I want to tie that back into especially an earlier point you made, Jay, about going back to work is a load of crap. I want and let's put <laughs> them into three nice buckets for you, right? So first, our first bucket is we're now seeing the option for the future of work when it comes to choices. We have more choices now as an industry, as employees, as leaders. The second is what Arthur was talking about, which is our pipeline in our workforce issue. And you've, you know, I've ranted about what it means to, to create pipelines so that we actually have sustainable growth when it comes to hiring. And then lastly, it's this emerging technologies. How do new spaces actually continue to maintain, innovate and actually drive revenue so that the games industry pushes the boundaries and pushes the envelopes and moving forward, right? like. How do we actually broaden our horizons as we move more and more towards this Internet realm, this metaverse space? So when we come back to choices, we are now seeing a whole new world where people are trying to figure out their policies, of what it means to come back to the office, what it means to work fully remote, what it means to make those offers. And we have to realize we can't completely discount because there's implications everywhere. Nobody really knows what the... It what the consequences, good or bad, are gonna be, right? Consequences should never be just a negative word. Consequences just means that there's a cause and effect and good, there's good and there's bad. And right now we know that at least for myself, right? Like for me, making the leap back into a private sector or business role, working fully remote was a requirement. But I've been working for a decade. I am tired of like, I do. I loved shaving two hours off on a work commute. I know my value. I've had a lot of experience. I've, you know, messed up my early days with the coffee machine and got yelled at. And yeah. that's on I'm right. There is, there is value, especially if you're a new employee of how you communicate and work with people and struggle through conflict, big and small, whether like you show up to work 15 minutes late and somebody is like braiding you about the the importance of being on time. Like you lose that in the remote sense. And that is part of a, pro- A professional development that I'm really curious to see when it comes to watching Gen Z learn how to work, right? This isn't their future. This is now. I'm curious to see what kind of leaders they become or how their management styles will correlate when they are offered a well-paying in-person role a couple years down the line. And I think that's going to be really important when we actually look at that pipeline growth. Because we do have a retention problem. It's a bloodbath out there because people leave. Talented people leave this industry. They leave because big tech or other companies offer better work environments. They're getting promotions, they're getting paid a lot. Uh, right now, as I came out of South by Southwest looking for full stack and front end devs specifically for GenVib, but a lot of our developers and friends we work with are also trying to hire them. A really awesome VC that I love to work with was telling me that those types of jobs right now are a much tougher uh, commodity to acquire than oil and gas. That they're, right? It is so much harder to find these people that are experienced, can work remote and work on really challenging issues like cloud streaming, like cloud gaming. And especially when you're talking about a market where interactive streaming and cloud gaming is, their revenue is expected to grow from $1 billion in 2021 to $13.5 billion in 2026. I can't just go down the street and hire the graduating senior out of Texas A&M to come work at Genvid, right? You need someone that actually can problem solve, that has experience, that can actually work through structure. Um, And that's going to be the challenge here. So how do we look at retention? And how do we also look at while we're hiring for the jobs today, how do we think about these open positions that we're going to have three years down the road? We as a company are going to double our workforce this year, just like we did last year. And we're not the only company doubling our workforce. So where's that talent going to come from? And that's really like, that's really kind of the, I don't get panicky about it because I'm somebody who works in you know, talks about the future of work for a long time. But I do think that we're so focused, not necessarily as a company, but as an industry of trying to solve our problems today, our problems three months from now, we are not thinking about three years, five years. What is the consequence and what do our employees look like in 10, 15 years?
1: Nobody in this industry is looking three years out. Nika, we're doing good to look like three months out. I only work in three
3: years strategic (laughs) vision. (laughs) Crazy talk. My, my vision board is a three-year
1: strategic plan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's a very good point. And the fact that, you know, we have always said if you make it five years in games, you're a veteran. I mean, which is compared to other industries, it just sounds crazy, but we do we force talented people out constantly. So how do we plan and how do we retain these people, you know, so we're not hiring straight out of college, you know, for these advanced positions how on earth do we do that when, you know, the big running joke that we all know is we can all make more money doing something else.
2: I mean, for me, it just starts with being empathetic and understanding that there's humans on the other side of the screen. There's humans that are doing this work and listening to them and listening to the, the, the real life problems they have. You know, um, I was at a, I was at Ubisoft at the time when, um, uh, there were the um uh, the, the capital riots and, and uh you know january 6th and there were people all over the world um, working on the project i was on and uh, it was clear that they were scared you know that people didn't know what was going on i had folks in japan i had folks in, in paris working on the project and uh they were yeah they were they were like what's happening in the united states is everything okay are you, are you guys okay? And you know that was a moment where we had to kind of be outside of our comfort zone in terms of working in in, in games and looking at a larger picture in the world. And um, you know, so it was kind of I had to like make a speech to all the folks around the around on, working on my project. Um, and it's the sort of thing that you know, just realizing that we're not just robots. We're, we're humans. We have fears. We have concerns. We have sensitivities. Um, somebody could have um, a family member who's, who's sick. Someone could have um, any kind of distraction that you don't know. You don't necessarily see it because all you're seeing is a, is a 2D screen. Um, and just reach out and ask if people are OK. Reach out and see ask how you can help um, and just listen to folks. And I think that's a huge part of, of, of people Wanting to stay at a place and is is feeling that they're heard, um, is feeling that they have a place as human beings and not just as workers. So that's that's something I try to uh, maintain as part of my management style, and it's 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 been helpful in terms of retaining for for me personally.
1: And, and I'll agree. And anyone who knows me has worked with me and God knows my wife will attest to it. Empathy is not exactly my strong point. It's just not that I'm cold and callous. It's just I don't generally think about it. But I mean, it's not just, you know, here in the US with, with the capital stuff. I mean, we're definitely seeing it. We had Ingrid from Ukraine on on our last show. And she's exactly. literally st- still developing her game in the middle of a a war. And, and Shortly after the invasion, I was on a conference call with a developer from Russia whose wife is Ukrainian. And you could just tell on the call, it's like they didn't want to be there. They had much bigger things going on in their life. And whatever it is that we were discussing that day was just totally not a priority. And it was uncomfortable for all of us because we knew it as well. And so it is extremely important to to keep that pulse on things. And so for either one of you here, how do you, how do you really do that? Are there are there tools? Are there texts? It's like, what are some of the best practices out there when it comes to you know keeping a pulse on your team when everybody's working remotely in different time zones and different worlds and different geopolitical situations? What are you seeing there? What what is happening now and what needs to happen? down the road to make that a more effective solution.
2: Well, uh, just need to keep a dialogue open. We have all these tools now. Um, I talk to my folks, uh, you know, I have like 12 direct reports. I talk to them every single day uh, over Slack. I have one-on-ones with them. And the very first thing I ask is, how are you doing? Like I, I, I make sure that the first five, 10 minutes is just about, how they're doing emotionally, how they're doing as, as a person. Um, you know, you try to set up uh, in-person meets every once in a while, get people to understand that, that uh, uh, you know, there is there is a human there. Um, fly people out occasionally. Um, yeah, just keep a regular cadence. The, the thing that I'll never cancel on my schedule and my schedule is packed, is uh, i'll never cancel those those one-on-ones that i have with with all my reports it's really important to keep uh uh, keep a pulse on on how people are doing and and what the what the struggles they are what the struggles they have so um always maintain uh always maintain one-on-ones uh have group sessions with your different departments um keep a chain of communication open and just make time for people when they when they want to talk that's that's the best you can offer really Nico, what about you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm, Arthur is really proactive about, like, and when in a remote work environment, you have to pull information and pull time off of people's calendars, right? Like, and Arthur's been really good about that with his teams and runs a much larger team. Uh, I, at the IGDA Foundation, ran global teams, lots of people, et cetera, but moving into a BD space you know, where business development is much more external. I'm actually the opposite. I'm much more protective of my time and my calendar now because I require this flexibility. And this is what BD looks like in a remote world. I require the flexibility to have open slots so that when platforms wanna have a meeting all of a sudden, especially like senior executives, I I can't, you know, my time isn't going to be priority. It's going to be their calendars the priority because I'm trying to book time with them. When you're a pre-revenue startup, when you're trying to provide a new concept, a new emerging technology, you're definitely, it's, it's not so much even pulling time off of people's calendars internally. For me, it's pushing the fact that we exist out there. It's making sure that there's awareness because I, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to like toot the horn too loudly because I usually am more conservative about this stuff. But like, I am a big believer that the stuff that the efforts Arthur and his team are doing, you know, globally across like nine offices in seven countries, Arthur's completely under like understating like the, the big volume of his team and like where they're all scattered. But like, I know that once we release a couple more slates of our projects, a lot more people are going to come to us. But I like to be as proactive as possible, especially when it comes to external relations, business development. And anybody who is much more externally facing, they're chasing news, they're trying to get people in front of publishers, they're trying to get funding, they're trying to make pitches happen. We all know that being proactive in the pandemic was really was really, really hard. <laughs> right? The fifteen when you schedule thirty minutes for a call with someone, the first five minutes is always that human element because you want them to remember your meeting. You want them to trust you. You want them to come back to you. You want them to respond to your follow-up emails. And that's really it. It's this like combination of push and pull. And you have to be really, really diligent. You have to be really, really proactive. You also have to set boundaries. You have to be protective of your time. I just reposted a screen cap um, of a picture of my schedule from two years ago in peak quarantine. And I was taking Zoom calls from 11 a.m all the way to 10, 50 PM. That was wild. I was like, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) I don't know when I ate, (laughs) you know? And I think I was running that unsustainable schedule for a really long time up until I started staffing up and delegating and trusting more. But part of staffing up delegating and trusting more is building this bond, right? A bond that you don't get when you see your colleague is just sad at work in their office and there's something clearly going on. So you take your colleague out for, you know, an appropriate lunch, you don't pry, but you do something to make their day just a little bit better and know that, you know, your office is also a, a community. And building community in a pandemic is hard. Building community when you're doing a brand new product is hard, but you have to have that Arthur-esque empathetic personality that constantly pushes and strives to build that connection and build that relationship because it's going to end up like building a better product overall.
1: Yeah. uh, So when I met Nika at GDC, I was, she was talking to folks and then I had to go somewhere and I'm like, I have a meeting. She's like, what's your schedule look like? And I showed her my phone and my calendar and it was, literally meetings every half hour for a week and me could just stand at my phone and just said no 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 <laughs> for like and I'm like yeah I'm sorry that's just the way the way my world works right now and yeah. I agree I do wish I had more time but it's it, it is hard you know when you're having to you know run a company or run a division and at the same time you know make sure you're available it's like I have certain days of the week that I don't have my calendar open for anything because I have to actually get work done you know and it's difficult so you know when we're looking at there's really two different parts of of the job market from the future side you know there's the folks that have been in the industry for a long time we've got a whole lot of emerging stuff coming out you know anything from streaming to crypto to all this different stuff out there and then we have the other side which are you know the folks that are coming just out of college or entering the workforce for the first time Two part question here. So what are the skills that employers, especially in this emerging tech, are going to be primarily looking for? And then what are the skill sets that, you know, these up and coming or even folks who have been in the industry for a while need to have on their radar and be developing, you know, to have a future in the industry?
2: Hmm. For me, I'm always looking for um, strategic-level thinking. I mean, uh, Nico was talking about having her three-year plan. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for folks who think long-term, um, who think about uh, not just solving an individual problem of the moment, but solving systemic problems, um, looking at things holistically, how it, how it fits within a larger, wider um lens beyond just themselves um so I'm, I'm i actually like seeing people who have like um a whole range of things in their background i like folks who studied philosophy studied uh studied english not just not even just stem i also like seeing people who have you know worked their way up through difficult situations um i i'm always happy to see people who have like uh service industry in their, in their, in their background, um, you know, I'll, I, I never forget, you know, I'm at like an exec now, but I, I never forget that there was a point where, um, yeah, I was making minimum wage. Right. And, uh, I think that sort of thing develops a level of grit and, uh, you know, grit, grit is necessary. It's a, it's, it's a challenging industry. You know, things change constantly. Uh, you have to be able to adapt to that change quickly. Um, you know, it's it's sometimes the, the first attempt that you have at, uh, at completing a sprint doesn't always work. Um, so you need people who have resilience, you need people who can look at things systemically as opposed to just on an individual feature level. And uh, you need folks who have developed a level of uh, kindness that they can offer to everyone else because we're all you know we're all doing our best we're all trying to uh make exciting and fun entertainment for folks and uh especially at a place like genvid where we're essentially forging a whole new media form uh there's a lot of things that we're learning on the fly and i learn every single day um so it's a little bit of a corporate speak but that growth mindset's really important and being willing to say, "Oh, I made a mistake, and um, that's fine. I'm, I'm going to learn from it and and keep keep improving." So those are the things I'm looking for when I'm hiring.
1: Nika, how much? This is question always comes up, and it like never fails. It comes up when I'm talking to some sort of university professor, and I tell them you're not going to like my answer. <laughs> how how important is a college degree in our industry?
0: Are you looking for a publisher for your game well we have something special just for you it's the most comprehensive listing of pc console and mobile publishers in the industry over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites you can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list and you can get it for free check it out
3: varies. I mean there are employers that look for it. It's mandated, it's a requirement. There are some people that can that are self-starters, self-learners and can actually develop those skill sets on their own, but they have to prove to the employer or through the application process that they have those proficiencies and competencies, which is really hard if you're out of college and applying to a well-known brand or not having a one-on-one conversation with a recruiter because a lot of companies have filter systems in their job applications that automatically weed that out. Uh, so that's that's the tough part there you have to network a little bit more you have to put it you have to put in a little bit of extra work but again like this goes back to we had a very bizarre last two years and some executives I'm not like Arthur's a really good person right when it comes to executives on your podcast like, Arthur is not like the, the I would say, I would say he's not the norm who thinks about all these things when it comes to hiring. But I've been exposed in the last two years to people reaching out through Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, looking for work. And we have to recognize that this pandemic class of um, degree-seeking individuals are different. A lot of people have actually dropped out of universities, gone on sabbaticals, took a year off. Uh, we're seeing a different type of, individuals looking to enter the workforce that went and had to learn school online and dealt with a series of hardships and maybe didn't have some of that professional development that we're used to. We're also going to see a generation that actually really put different boundaries in place Red, I'm, a, I'm a child of immigrants. <laughs> I was all about hustle harder, right? I was totally that, like, I know there's a lot of documentaries out, but I was totally that We work yuppie in 2012 that was, like, work hard, hustle harder, do what you love, four jobs, 80 internships, do a restaurant thing, make the money, get a mortgage payment. Oh, shit, my mortgage payment's not working out. Like, my boss sucks. Why did I do this, right? Like, I come from that hamster wheel of work. And I am seeing. I am seeing. I'm literally working with the uh, 19 to 24s, right? I'm I'm seeing it in my doctorate program. I'm seeing it in people reaching out to me on LinkedIn. Like I had people. I've never been this person, and I and I commend them for it. I'm seeing people that are like, it's 4:30. I logged into work at 8:30. I'm logging off now because I'm taking care of myself. So <clears throat> we're seeing a generation that will push back. That will not, you know, work extra hours for the sake of working extra hours and maintain self care and mental health. And these are all stigmas that, at least for my generation or for my class of, of workaholics, like right, mental health was a stigma. Like, I never spoke back to my boss when they asked me to stay late after work. Uh, and I, I I was caught back when I when I had a team of people being like, I have to leave now, and I was like, oh. Oh,
1: <laughs> that's not a thing
3: you know, I, good for you. <laughs> like, I was proud. Um, so it's, it's just different. And I think it's almost like instead of people entering the workforce, adapting to employers, employers have to adapt how we work and how we progress and how we create processes around the incoming class of workers. And I think that's going to be a really fascinating shift, especially for people like myself who have typically had no boundaries.
1: Do you think that we're gonna see a backlash against companies like Google and these huge corporations that are mandating everybody get back to the office like in the next couple of weeks versus companies that are more attuned to our industry or more in that startup mentality of, we don't care where you are as long as the work's getting done you know that that's a good thing and this is going to lead into my next question as well but are they going are, are these big corporations going to lose talent because of it
2: yes you
3: yeah <laughs> i mean they'll either lose talent they'll gain talent but i mean my only thing and i'll i'll let i'll I'll leave it to arthur cuz he's the nicer one of the two of us of the but three my of us. Is if you're watching this like you can have a different mentality but Going back and trying to like force your employer to do the thing you want to do, in my opinion, is not the move. It's a lot of energy. I mean, if you are, if you have spent the last year expressing the type of work environment needs you have and want, and your employer isn't matching that, instead of like logging off and being like, oh, my employer isn't serving my needs, find another, find a job that is because you have options. Like I see a lot of people spending a lot of energy trying to convince their leadership of one thing. And when you are working at a company that large, there are systems and conversations in place that you're not privy to. So leave and find the boss and the environment that suits the lifestyle and the type of work you'd rather be doing versus trying to change a big structure. Unless you really have enough people that can, can do that. I just don't. I maybe I'm just tired. I just don't think it's worth the effort or energy.
2: Yeah. No, how, I, oh, go ahead, please. So,
1: all right, so, how do you how do you find that boss? I mean, it's it's really easy to say find the boss that you want. <laughs> it's not like there's a bulletin board out there of like here's the cool bosses. You know that's yeah. How, how do you do that?
2: Well, I mean, when you're interviewing. I mean, sure, they're they're interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them. So, you know, when I talk to folks, yeah, sure, I'm evaluating the skill set, can they do the job, but I'm also trying to explain what the culture is, give a give insight and a window into, you know, who we are as a company and what it would be like to work with us and and work for, or work for me. And um, I, I I just I just want to be I just. Be honest. Uh, I'm always honest for whatever questions that they have because it doesn't help anybody to 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 hide things. You just have to set up a culture of trust and transparency, or else you're just going to be surprised soon down the line. You know. So you know when you're interviewing, it's it goes both ways. You know. So uh, I I hope that uh, if somebody passes, uh, you know, it was it was. Probably for the best for everybody because it just wasn't a match. Maybe somebody w- wants to work full time back in the office, and that's just not what which Genbit has. We are fully fully remote and in uh, you know seven different countries, nine offices, and we have people. It's it's however you want, um, but some people want to be back in the office. That's fine too. That's 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 a different company. You know, you just ma- you just got to match match who you your personality with the people you're interviewing with
3: and jay we've we've talked about this like a lot of employers and people will tell you things in interviews you know that you want to hear so i always advise like go in with like your five mandates two like things you absolutely won't do and three things that you must have and if you know you go in and recruiters and employers they want your skill set they want your talent they want like your your likeness or whatever, especially if you're like a marginalized if com- person coming from a marginalized community or a diverse background, right? They'll say, Oh, we value you so much. And we can't quite make this, but we have this. Like if the words don't match, like if the words on paper and on the offer don't match what they are saying, they do not actually value you. Like th- it's not that they don't value you, but like you know, when you're doing that song and dance and negotiations, what they're telling you has to match what's on the paper. And more often than not, people will just take it because they either they've been built not to have that confidence in themselves or there's a scarcity mentality or they don't know that other offers exist. But like have it's so much easier to walk away when you have those commandments. Right. Mine were easy. Mine was I refused to work for anybody that was an asshole. Straight up, I was like, absolutely not. If if there are people at the company that are assholes, I will not work there. I have walked away from good money because I was like, oh, oh, no, thank you, not for me. The second is I needed somebody that wasn't going to ping me at 8 p.m. at night when I was having dinner. I'm, I'm married now. I made promises. I've been a workaholic. I made promises in my relationship that I would be a better like that. I would just be a better partner. It's something that was never a priority for me. I, you know, I'm not 22 going to happy hours, trying to like network, et cetera, In the middle of a pandemic, so that's something that's become kind of a priority in my life. Is like what, you know, having a personal life. So that was another mandate for me, and I'm I'm getting that at this current office. The three I required a completely remote environment. I had a certain amount of money I needed to make, and I needed my employer to just be respectful that I am going to have a side hustle, whether it's getting a PhD or like learning pottery etc that goes back to personal life and i had people that would be like oh gosh we love you so much but we're gonna have to like go to our ceo or whatever but it'd be faster if you took this amount of money and i would just say no straight up was like you didn't fulfill my five commandments you're out and they would always come back with more money Always. They would always come back with more.
1: And that never, the, that and the whole, I'm leaving, here's my two weeks notice. Oh, yeah. we'll counter offer whatever you're getting somewhere else. That's never a a, a good thing. That's, no. I think we see, you know, we talk obviously a lot on the show about, you know, developers and how you find publishers and how one of the biggest problems is developers don't realize how many options that they have. The very same thing is true in the job world. I mean, you have a lot more options than you realize. You just need to do a little extra work and, and, and find them. Um, so before we went live, we were talking about innovations and the app boom. And it was funny because I just got an email from a journalist that I know that I haven't even answered yet. And so I'm going to let you all tell me how to answer that what happened to all the explosive growth and new shit? And do you think that the industry is like actually stagnating at this point? I
3: want to hear Arthur's perspective first.
2: Oh boy. Uh, No, I don't, I don't think the industry is stagnating. I think there's all kinds of exciting innovations happening. I can, I can speak for, for Genvid. I mean, this, this really is a new form of entertainment. It's, it's somewhere between games, between TV, between streaming, Um, there isn't really anything out there um, like what we're doing. Um, This is the sort of thing that, you know, when I was at Telltale, uh, we dreamed about having, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people guiding storylines collaboratively all across the world. And that's the sort of thing that, that, you know, we're offering and I'm seeing all kinds of people as I talk in the industry that are coming up with exciting new things as well. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that the, the industry is, is, is stagnant, whatever you may think of, uh, whatever different new technology is emerging, um, personal thoughts aside, uh, there is new technology emerging all the time. And I think that's great. So. Nika.
3: Yeah. I'm right. And we all know, right. I do think so. I made a really intentional decision coming to GenBit. I knew I was like, I'm like two jobs away from like maybe retiring at Google or something. I still have energy, right? I know, know, right? This is, again, this is like the elder millennial. This is, this is a future of work. Like now my, now my life goal is like, okay, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go like retire at a big box company. The fact that Google and Facebook are now big box companies, but you can do that because you know, you'll get well paid that they have great benefits. But you will be like, you won't be working on, at least with Genvid, I wanted to work on something that was new, that was engaging, and that was challenging, challenging to solve. I love solving problems. And and like, you have to have energy to do that. You have to be proactive. You have to pull information. You have to, I mean, our co-founders, I feel like hopefully this is not a bad, uh, a misrepresentation, but they've almost like willed this Mm -hmm type of entertainment into existence. I feel like a lot of people talk about big ideas, but very seldom do people actually execute. And I have to give them kudos because they have spent like at least or a little over a decade of their lives bringing the concept of miles to a place where we're actually developing product. And that's amazing. Cause how many people did you know in 2012 in Silicon Valley that we're pitching, like, I'm the next Uber of whatever, I'm the next mm. Uber of this, or uh, but trying to compete, like, competing apps without totally stealing the code of an existing product and just going to war. So, <laughs> but I haven't seen, like, where did the hackathons go? Where did, like, I love my friends over at TechCrunch. What happened to that big Disrupt TechCrunch vibe where people can go up and pitch an idea and, and win capital? Um, so, It's Yeah, I agree with Arthur. It's not stagnant, but it's not quite in your face. And if you're not like a 20 something year old with absolutely nothing to lose or a mortgage payment to fulfill and like property taxes, I keep coming back to mortgage payment as it's like, this is clearly my boon, right? Um, Where do you go where you can work on exciting new challenges in a space that is disruptive, that is next step? And, you know, is it snake oil, <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: I just saw Theranos happen.
3: How <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> I write that on, yeah. Right? Oh, like, right, the that is hell it hell snake is... oil. Like, where yeah. do you go find legitimate companies that are going to salary well and you can actually put your mind into something? Because I think that's always been a challenge of, like, innovative um, thinking mm-hmm. in gaming. We talked about this, Jay, from a global perspective funding is really hard funding is really really hard in gaming when you are just starting out
1: it's it's the same stupid ass two-sided coin that we see you know with a lot of game publishers too it's like we want innovation. We want stuff that's new. Oh, wait, shit, that's going to cost money. No, that's too risky. We don't have anything to run it against. We can't, you know, we tell developers, it's like, don't go into a publisher meeting and say, I've got something that no one else has ever done because you just killed your project right there. They, so many of the companies that have the money and that can actually fund these things are sitting back and going, well, we can't run a PL against that because there's nothing else that's been out there. So no, 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 we're not going to do it. You know, it's you've got to have that indie mentality with the funding mentality. And that's that's rare. It's hard to find. Um, All right. So we beat around the bush, you know, on this. You've mentioned Miles and obviously Arthur coming from Telltale should give us a little bit of an idea. Tell us what this is and why it's cool.
2: So it's, okay. So imagine a Telltale game that was played by one person, right? There's your own individual story. Now, instead of that, picture it played by millions of people. And then that story becomes the canonical story. And picture it with your favorite IP. So we announced uh, Walking Dead, uh, The Last Mile, coming out this summer. We have some incredible IP of projects coming out on the wings in the future. Now, just imagine your favorite thing, uh, imagine your favorite story, and imagine being able to sway with hundreds of thousands, millions of people where that story is going to go. And imagine that you're able to place a camo of yourself, an avatar of yourself in that story to be seen by all those folks all at once. Um, And then imagine also that that Storytelling is cloud streaming. So it's playable on your phone, it's playable on your PC, it's playable uh, eventually on your console. And um, you're engaging in that dialogue with all these people all around the world. We have millions of people, uh, millions of users, viewers in places like India, Brazil, Mexico, Philippines. Um, They're able to access it on their six year old Android phones. Um, so imagine massive storytelling, collaborative storytelling with all those folks all around the world in real time, 24-7. All
1: right. So I have questions. Hmm. As, someone, as someone who's played their fair share of D&D and, you know, pretty much the party's role in all of those situations is to completely ruin anything that the DM had planned out for months and months and months. Mm. When you're going from a single player game, narrative, interactive fiction, whatever we want to call it, Mm. it's one thing to be able to structure the story farther out. How do you keep that canon storyline going when you have input from millions of people around the world and your plan can go off the rails at any second.
2: Mm. Well, for, we have a pretty large writing team, so there's that. We, <laughs> <a lot> of- <laughs> we think of everything. Well, no, we don't think of everything, but there's, there's, there's a whole lot of, you know, there's ways to design um, uh, branching and there's also ways to be reactive so that, um, you know, you look at uh, how uh, you know, South Park will create an episode, like, basically a week ahead of time. We're not that, it's not that uh, frenzied for us, but we are able to, um, with with levels of automation that we have, where and levels of AI that we have, we're able to pivot pretty quickly based on the input of the viewers. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, D&D is extremely freeform. We're, we're not, we're not there yet. We're, we don't have, like, completely, you can't just, like, uh, the the DM can't set up. Oh, we want to go in the cave, and oh no, we're going to decide to go to the candy shop instead. We're not we're not quite there yet. There's there's level. We have to build the environments. We have to build the characters. We can't just like pop out um, an environment out of nowhere. Um, but we can offer rails. We can offer um, choices that have um, amounts of branching that are uh, sustainable for. The dev team, because that's an important thing too, right? The the more the more breadth of of choice you have, the more impact it has on your dev. So you have to be uh, looking at it both from uh, entertainment standpoint, but also a sustainability standpoint with your teams. So coming back to the point earlier, um, so anyway, it's a it's a balance of leveraging AI, um, offering uh, rails in terms of how you want to design things, and then also just pivoting. Um, Far enough ahead, of, like planning far enough for when you might have to have a pivot, um, and then be able to quickly build the the changes that you want um, based on the player input. We always have to be listening to what what the viewers are doing, basically. So
3: yeah, and Jay, like like as Arthur kind of goes through the production side of it, you know, the consumer side of Miles and the interactivity and the user experience is amazing. Think about it. So we, we had an original IP that we put out called Rival Peak about a year ago. Rival Peak is this combination of like AI-generated characters. It's like Survivor meets Big Brother. Like you can actually click on the cameras 24-7 and see what they're doing. But it's Survivoresque where they vote each other off every week. And you can go and click through like your favorite character. Mine was winter to see like who gets food and who gets exercise and you create these factions, right? I'm like, no, don't get into a relationship with him. And it's me just like compete, but think about where the future of a mild goes. My mother is a brilliant accountant, Iranian lady who did not grow up with an Xbox, right? When she still doesn't understand what I do. But when I pulled up, for example, our launch of Pac-Man, she was able to use her finger. We did this in the middle of my wedding ceremony. With her finger, she was like, what the hell am I doing? And in like 20 minutes, she's so fixated into this yellow dot. And then she's like, I don't want to play anymore. I was like, well, mom, you can just watch and like help. know either the ghosts go faster or the pac-man go faster and i don't know like i'm trying to be like get getting her dressed and ready for our photos and she's in the corner just tapping really quickly to make sure that the pac-man speeds up and that's this this beauty of the next step of miles it's such a low barrier to entry like you don't have to go buy a cost prohibitive console if you already have one that's great you don't have to have a massive aptitude or this big aptitude of gaming IP or internet uh, entertainment IP, like the fact that I can play, I can play, interact, uh, utilize and be a part of an experience, you know, six hours across the globe from somebody else or from the country, from somebody else and then get into a discord voice chat or a zoom call and be like, did you see what happened? Right. That's the next level of interaction. Because who has time? I don't know about you, but like who has time to just sit and invest 80 hours into a game and then, you know, two months later, pick it up and be like, shoot, I forgot how all the buttons work. Like when it comes to a mile, I don't forget how the buttons work. <laughs> it's like I can kind of pick it up and catch up and, and get back into it.
1: So, I mean, Dan's got a question. So if you've got millions of people playing, what is? are, are you voting? What are you actually doing?
2: Yeah, so the, the core loop is... Um, There's essentially a a bidding system for how you want to sway the story. Um, So the loop is, there's, there are activities that you can do um, in the, uh, in the world of the mile, Um, you know, whether it's like fishing or shooting or um, exploring or what have you, there's an activity that's relevant to that IP and to that storyline. By participating in that activity, you're earning influence points essentially. And then those points go towards the the bids the votes um they, we, we we refer to them as bids that are communal and you're able to then invest that engagement into the uh how the story is swing um and it's you know not necessarily it's it's just based on whether you participate and where you want to put that uh, with those points. So maybe you do want to invest in a relationship swaying a certain way, someone falling in love, as Nika talks about, uh, or you want to talk about, or, or you want to have a big live or die moment, and you're figuring out where you Thank want you. to engage and where you want to sway the story um, to really push it in a certain direction. Um, so that's the core, kind of core loop there of the experience, is. Earn influence points by participating and doing activities, um, and then spend those in the choices that you want to spend them to to have the maximum impact. So, all
1: right, so we're going to backtrack a bit because this is always the billion-dollar question, but it's always a very good question too. We're talking about employers and going forward and the future of work. This constantly comes up, and it's constantly a question versus you know that's worth considering and thinking through and adapting. How do we make game development a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable space?
3: Oh, Jay. (laughs) I feel your eyes (laughs) from across across the server. You're
1: the one doing the accents on your mom. Oh, that's because I
3: love my mother. I can't, you know, (laughs) this is is my love language is imitation. I, I view imitation as a form of flattery. Hopefully she doesn't know how to find the stream, though. Um, how do we make it more diverse, equitable, and inclusive? One, it's hard. It literally requires hard work. Very few people are willing to do it. A lot of people want to talk about it. What does that mean? It either means, A, we invest in that you know, next generation or the current generation that we are employing or Trying to be employed so that we retain and create an entry pipeline, but we don't do it through virtue sig- uh, virtue signaling. We provide feedback. We provide skills. We actually go through and we mentor people into these positions. When we are looking at jobs, when we are looking at circles. We, you know, we just build a professional pipeline development. Sounds easy, right? Well, leads to point number two. <laughs> point oh that's down, it ready? oh okay <laughs> uh have you know enforceable enforceable action items when human beings and employers and people are being shitty racist sexist misogynistic or literally retaliating you know uh, like demon- retaliating in some way on uh, people from those communities i uh, in and, and demoting them or tokenizing them or anything like just <laughs> when there's bad things happening, hold those people accountable. You know, I see a lot of people getting very ready to cancel each other out, et cetera, on Twitter, but I'm not really seeing that level of like charge in the workplace. And I'll be honest, it's hard. It's not up to women or people of color or people from diverse backgrounds to hold everybody accountable. No, it actually, like it would be great for allies to step up and do it because we have jobs on the line. We have mortgage payments on the line. We don't want to rock the boat, you know, and risk our jobs because somebody was shitty to us. We don't want to be separated from a project that we're learning from because this individual did something bad. Um, So the HR systems are usually a little bit broken in the industry because the typical move is to just quietly push like the squeaky wheel away because of all the legal implications that come with you know, employing bad people that do bad things at a company that traumatizes people who then, then pushes them to leave. Like you have to actually support people, not just when they're getting in, but also the bad things that they sadly sometimes inevitably face when they are attending conferences, when they're attending a work environment, when they're in a company. Um, so don't push people out, hold the people who are not supportive accountable. And then lastly, um, don't just talk about it. Everyone's like, what can I do to help? Well, you know, I'll be more optimistic and less jaded on this one. It is really hilarious going back in person. The number one person that comes to me and asks how they can help actually tend to be cis white men. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And I said, well, you know what you can do that requires no joining of an organization, no like putting a dollar into whatever, Find like one, two hungry up and comers that are in your path of field or your similar career pipeline that you like see a younger version of yourself in and just do a mentorship call once a month, like review resumes, talk about portfolios in confidence, like try to help them problem solve what's in a company, like what they're facing in a company, because, you know, you're not going to be comfortable talking about, you know, problems you're facing with a colleague because you don't want to risk you know, damaging a relationship or having that trickle into your work. Sometimes you want an outside voice that's going to temper your expectations and say, no, Nika, you're being a little bit of a hothead today, (laughs) right? Or like, no, Nika, you're way too chill about this. Like, you've got to do something, right? You need that voice of reason and that network and that mentor that's been around the block. And it would be great if more allies stepped up, and demonstrated that level of mentorship and paid it forward with the next generation. And that is definitely a gap that we're missing in a remote environment.
1: We we are starting to see the first tales of results though. It's like I sit on these board calls and these conference calls where they ask industry experts in giant quotation marks like myself, you know, what do we see in the industry in terms of like the stock and, you know, the future of these big companies. And we've been saying for years that companies like Activision and Ubisoft are going to have a reckoning because every time all this stuff comes out and it gets nasty, it's going to make it absolutely harder for them to find top talent in the industry. And sure as shit, in the last quarter, we've had both of those companies come out and say in their earnings call, we're having difficulty attracting top you know, performers in the industry. And it's like, well, no shit. It's like, (laughs) I'm not exactly sure why you didn't see that coming. But yes, and and that is, a lot of it is getting out there and and actually helping and listening. And if we don't, you know, show folks that there's a a space for them and help them get to that space, just like we help everybody else, it's going to be a problem. Um, all right, so we are nearly out of time here. If you've got questions, pop them in chat. Nika and Arthur will answer them, and I will continue to try to get Nika to curse just once. In this <laughs> I talk.
3: Will not. All new right. Good job, new me. <laughs> <That's>,
1: <laughs> no, it's not. Um, all right, I mean, Hamster has got a good point. A lot of that toxic habit of promoting salespeople to managers. Well, they can sell an ice cream cone to the dead of winter, can't manage themselves out of a wet paper bag. I feel targeted by that statement.
3: Yeah, <laughs> the, um, <that's, laughs>
1: I did not get into this industry to run a company. Trust me, that was not my objective. All right. So what y'all are doing with Miles right now Yeah, is cool. You got a whole lot of different people that are voting it. It's interactive. It's this blend between TV and you know entertainment in an industry where we're already seeing people like Netflix go. We're not competing with Hulu. We're competing with Fortnite. Mm -hmm. How do you adapt it? What are the plans for bringing this to a more educational space? Not just like not only in like schools and universities, but also in all different types of learning cultural diversity learning about ecosystems how can we take this awesome technology and adapt it beyond entertainment
3: yeah well look we arthur and i are on the entertainment side we obviously like develop product etc but our sdk is available for developers to use now i i I met people at south by etc that were like oh yeah my i had a college class you know building their own product and experiences off of miles. It's not, it's not like a, like a completely blocked off inaccessible piece of tech. Like you can reach out to us and we'll put you in touch with our um, friends and colleagues that handle more of the technologies that can give you that introduction. We have a tech evangelist, etc. So this isn't like, ooh, Arthur and Nika showed up to a call and talked about this secret tech. Like, No,
2: it's, no, it's available.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's been out for like, years, but we recognize that sometimes it takes time for people to accept a new piece of tech or a new way of interactive entertainment. Think about it. Fortnite was on the E3 floor for two and a half years before it blew up, right? So we recognize that there's an educational aspect to understanding what a mile is, uh, what it does, and how it can be utilized in different formats. But our team's been doing this for a long time. Actually, Arthur and I are the new we're we're the new side of GenBit. We're we're the new kids on the block.
2: Yeah, it's been a it's been it's been a company for half a decade, and it's only been, you know, the last year or so when we've sort of focused on make publishing our own. Um, but generally, if you want the tech, reach out. It's it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> the SDK is out there for you to to make these really cool educational uh, experiences. For instance, if you want, I think that's great. All right, so
1: I'm going to put you on the spot now. So we have established that the technology is cool. We've established that the technology is out there and anyone can use it. Going back to the funding side of it, are there any plans down the road to do, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, an indie uh, epic mega grant type thing and some of your tech challenges, Nika? Are there any opportunities coming up for programs that are going to allow for funding or competitions that are going to win grants or anything to develop new and cool shit doing this?
3: I'll take that back to leadership, but we're still a pre-revenue startup, Jay. (laughs) Didn't you hear Arthur? We're trying to to hire, right? Like here's the problem with every, when it comes to startup culture, like there's low hanging fruit everywhere. You want to do everything, but we can't do everything until we are staffed up to even like, build a product we can't like we're still trying to uh, we're still building processes and onboarding new people and at least I'm not going to speak for Arthur but my best understanding on the entertainment side is like we're really focused on people and product it's it's establishing a good foundation early being outcome focused and prioritizing well at the beginning stages of a company that leads to scalability growth good leadership being good stewards of a community. Um, I actually always look a little bit sideways when a new company comes up and then just starts like spouting out 50 new programs because that's that means they're not going to be around for a while. I would like to see Genvid stick around for a while and it's building that base is gonna and that foundation is really important. So yeah, I'm sure like we're always open to ideas, but right now, man, we need to hire, we need mm-hmm. to build and we need to grow in a sustainable way as a company so that it is an awesome place to work.
2: Yep. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm, I'm trying to double my team. You know, I, I have uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to set up, Well, you know, when we have walking dead out, we'll have an initial kind of, this is a proof of concept for people to look at. Um, but I'm, I'm hiring aggressively in, you know, production UI UX design uh, art um, all over the, all over the slate. So we need to, we do need to grow and have a stable platform first before uh, before, we run, before we reach out in that way. But um, I do think it's really cool. I think it's a great idea, Jay. Yeah,
3: that's the truth of the business. And developers, if you're a software engineer, front end, full stack, my gosh, yep. we need engineers so bad. Please, yeah. please, please reach out to me on Discord or Twitter. Yeah. I will go back and post something in your Discord, Jay. Um, really, really need devs right now.
1: Well, see, so y'all stole my next question. Was like, you know, this is your chance to plug. You know, what are you looking for? <laughs> who who are you hiring? Do you need senior biz dev people that are like, ex, you know, running consulting firms for the last twelve years? Because I ain't gonna lie, I think I would like to work for Arthur because he <laughs> the
2: shit. So uh...
3: I even want to work for Arthur, and I'm not even in production.
2: <laughs> well, it's a pleasure working with you, Dika. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, am I'm, I'm blessed. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're expanding our marketing department and, and certainly there's, there's a whole, whole lot there, but the first thing we're, we're focused on is getting the, is getting product out there. So, um, so that means engineers, product, you know, project managers, producers, designers, artists, that's, that's the immediate, that, that, that I need, <laughs> personally speaking. And for the front
3: end devs and full stack devs. Front gonna, end I'd devs like, and full
2: stack devs. Go this is
3: go. like Arthur Nika Sesame Street, where he gives you the roster of his jobs, and I end it with like, and front end mm. devs and full stack. So good, so
2: good.
3: Three to seven years of experience. I wish like <laughs> YouTube should be like, click here. <laughs>
1: Love it. Smash that like button.
3: Yeah, <laughs> here's the like. This imaginary like button that will be like in this. World. Um.
1: well i greatly appreciate y'all coming arthur it was good to meet you and i hope you had a wonderful experience on your first indie game business nika it's always a pleasure to to have you on and i really look forward to what y'all are doing because i think it is really cool tech and i think it's got some awesome things down the line so when is the next one launching
2: this summer awesome this summer walking dead last mile So it's a a partnership with our friends at Skybound, uh, developed by uh, Pipeworks, and it's going to be on uh, the Facebook platform.
1: New story or branching from the comics or branching from the TV show or the other TV show or, yes, anything.
2: It's uh, the first new protagonist coming out from the kind of comic storyline. Got it. Yeah, I can't see too much about it. There was an interview that just came out on GameSpot uh, where we, that was a joint between our CEO, Jacob Novok and uh, Skybound. So you can learn a whole lot more about Walking Dead last mile through that. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. I'm excited to be working on it. Awesome.
1: All right. Yeah. Y'all keep up the good work. And you're always welcome here. Feel free to, you know, troll our Discord of like 4,000 yeah, people do. for for I'll new hires.
3: Today. Dan,
1: Dan, you're muted.
0: <laughs> We're gonna need to get a jacket for Nika that has like the 10 timers club, like they do on Saturday Night Live, wow. you know?
3: Yeah, I want like a well, I
1: mean, the big takeaway from this episode for everyone should yeah. be Nika bought a house. That's yeah, the um,
3: I, that, I, I want a t shirt that says and full stack devs and front end devs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Dan, I
3: 20 jobs
0: yeah, just on the back, you know? They just kind of land through them when they had they right. them okay everybody thank you so much for joining make sure and join the discord at discord.gg slash indie game business and our next conference is coming up in dang it June. June am I right? June and then December we are so ahead of the curve we have actually planned two of them yes Don't two conferences that, that is going to be awesome <laughs> Dan and I have worked together on games we have Mr. Hamster Hammer that's right uh, thank you guys for thank you, Nika and Arthur. We appreciate you very much. This podcast will be live just like anchor.fm slash indie game business or whatever, Spotify, whatever you use. This will be live here in a little bit so you can watch it or you can just watch it here again. Right. But make sure to join the Discord, discord.gg slash indie game business. Everyone have a blessed evening and thank you so much.
2: Thank Thanks, you, everybody.
0: Thank mm-hmm. Cheers.